Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Recorded live. Hey, it's Mike. Uh, old religion dystopia. Another brutally hot day. Man, my place is dusty. Amazing how fast my how fast my place gets dusty. Anyways, it is uh May the eighteenth. Allegedly, 2017. And I try to do some more uh, reading out of a, a guide of uh, The Phantom Dark Age by Emmett Scott. they really bad chest pains today. One of the wonderful things. Stupid. Chronic degenerative disease like relapsing remitting MS. Wonderful. Well, at least I'm still walking. God almighty. I want to get these like sharp pains in my chest. Comes and goes and then <clears throat> weird episodes of it were and then there's like times when this has been going on for years by the way so all right this might be a disaster like everything else lately uh had uh, technical problems yesterday uh, via talkshoe.com i guess the weather and all that very high winds yesterday and my end of things and I don't know stuff was going on they'll try you know triangulating uh, here in northern Ohio with uh, down in Mississippi and and uh, wherever talk shoes well, located I guess so, uh, anyways um well, me and MK weren't able to uh, do a show. We ended up having a conversation, though, and it was kind of interesting. So apparently he's doing a show tomorrow morning. Very popular man. Even he's got his own web Wikipedia page. Well, here I am talking to him. Archaeology of the Mesopotamia and Iran has stated most of the Islamic world can provide very little archaeology. If we discount the evidence 
of coins for the early 7th to early 10th centuries. Nonetheless, whilst admitting that Spain, North Africa, and the Middle East as far as Syria can show little in the way of material remains from the mid-7th to the mid-10th centuries, historians do insist that there is one area of the Islamic world, namely uh, Mesopotamia and Iran, which can supposedly excuse me, supply abundant archaeology for the questionable centuries. Traditional, history, traditional histories have, of course, always insisted that the very heart of the Ottoman and, oh, excuse me, the Umayyad and the Abbasid Caliphs was located in Mesopotamia, a territory which is said to have boasted several enormous cities. uh, ornamented with dozens of royal residencies as well as hundreds of ornate mosques and public baths. The Abbasid Caliph al-Mansur, we are told, established Baghdad in the central Mesopotamia as the capital of the empire in 762 AD. A new city expanded rapidly under the legendary caliph Harun al-Rashid in 786-809 to AD, growing into an enormous metropolis with a population in excess of a million souls. <clears throat> For all that, archaeologists admit that Baghdad of the 8th century has yielded few proofs of its fabulous wealth and size. The failure to locate anything substantial of Harun al-Rashid city is put down to the fact that the 8th century settlement lies directly underneath the modern metropolis and so has not been readily amendable to excavation or investigation. This, for example, was the explanation uh, proffered by Richard Hodges and David Whitehouse. We hear that Abbasid Baghdad is buried beneath the modern city for, as Guy Lestrange remarked, so wise was the choice of the site that it has served as the capital of Mesopotamia, or Mesopotamia, 
almost without interruption. Our knowledge of the city of Al-Mansur, therefore, comes from written sources. Written sources say that the capital of the Caliphate was moved from Baghdad to a place called uh, Samara in 836 AD by Caliph Al Muse uh, Tassim and the settlement established there grew rapidly in the years following. And by the time the court moved back to Baghdad in 892 AD, Samara is said to have grown into an enormous metropolis on around a million people. Unlike Baghdad, the 9th century city of Samara is still there. Plain for everyone to see. The site was excavated by a German team under Ernest Hertzfeld between 1911 and 1913, imagine that, whose investigations brought to light an enormous urban environment replete with gardens, palaces, mosques, and baths. Other cities of Mesopotamia and Iran, such as Syrah, have also been found to have flourished at this time and have left ample remains, or so we are told. <clears throat> at this point, it is important to draw the reader's attention to the remarkable fact all the early Islamic centers of the 7th to the 10th centuries which are said to have revealed substantial archaeology are invariably to the east of the Euphrates River in the former territories of the Sassanid Empire. Furthermore, whilst the advent of Islam in the former Byzantine territories, those regions that are, excuse me, to the west of the Euphrates, invariably reveals a destruction layer the advent of Islam in Mesopotamia and Iran. The former lands of the Sassanids reveals no such evidence of destruction, a fact which seems to suggest that the Islamicization of the Sassanid Empire I don't know. Am I not saying it right? I don't know if I'm not. Yeah, that's how I'm going to pronounce it anyways. Maybe everyone else is pronouncing it wrong. The Sassanid Empire was a far less violent affair 
than the Islamicization of the Byzantine lands. There is evidence evidence of much greater cultural and economic continuity continuity in the former than in the latter. With all the uh, indicators pointing to a relatively peaceful transition from a Zoroastrian Zoroastrian to Islamic civilization. Basically, all the same one way to go. Whether or not this is the case, it is clear that the eastern regions of the Caliph and Mesopotamia and Iran enjoyed a great deal more wealth and continuity from the 7th to the 10th centuries than did the territories of the West. The former lands of the Eastern Roman Empire. Yet even in the East, the continuity uh, which historians have laid so much emphasis upon is open to question. The dates provided by excavators at uh, Mesopotamian sites are often based on little more than a handful of barely legible coins. These, as well as the territory of the medieval Arab chroniclers, form the basis of early Islamic chronology. But whilst the written sources speak of vast cities inhabited by millions of citizens during the three dark centuries, the span of the archaeologists have revealed something quite different. Thus, for example, for example, at Saref, a Persian Gulf port of southern Iran, which is said to have flourished under the early caliphs, excavators speak of five separate occupation layers between the 7th and 10th centuries. So the actual depth of these layers is little more than a few centimeters and would in no way be regarded as sufficient to account for the three centuries of occupation. Richard Hodges and David Whitehouse point somewhat triumphantly or with relief that Serif has one example of the settlement occupied continuously throughout the Dark Ages, though the only ruins they can actually show to the reader a bizarre site, a residential quarter uh, and a house courtyard all date from the 10th century. We continue a similar situation in Samara, though in an even more acute form. There we find that the traditional Arab account of the city's history, which Hodges and Whitehouse seem to have trust 
implicitly has been thoroughly debunked by archaeology. According to the Arab histories, when Caliph al Mutazm established his new capital at Samara in 836, the place was basically a wasteland inhabited only by a few monks. This informed the Caliph of a former city in the area and of a legend that it, it would be rebuilt by, quote, a great and victorious and powerful king, end quote. It was then that al Mutazm began construction of his new capital. That is the written story. Archaeology, however, has shown that Samara was already a large and important center under the Sassanids, whose king, uh, Chosro I, late 6th century, extended the uh, Nathawan Channel, the Nathalon Canal, excuse me, to the locality, thus opening it for settlement. To celebrate the completion of this project, the commemorative tower, modern Burj Al Wa'im, was built at the southern inlet south of Samara, and a palace with a, quote, paradise, end quote, or walled hunting park was constructed in the northern inlet, modern Nar al Rasasai, near, near to Al-Dor, Later, Sassanid rulers added to the settlement, and Hertzfeld found evidence of a large and important Sassanid metropolis replete with palaces, gardens, etc. The city continued to be inhabited and to expand under the first Islamic rulers. We know, for example, that another irrigation Canal, the Quatul Al Jun, Jud, so the Quatul Al Jud was excavated by the Abbasid Caliph Harun Al Rashid, who began the construction of a new planned city. Though this project was supposedly abandoned, unfinished in 796, strangely, Hodges and White House make no mention of these Sassanid or early Islamic cities. Thus, Arab tradition provides unreliable <clears throat> proved unreliable with regard. Samara's beginnings. It proved equally unreliable 
with regard to its end. Judging by the testimony of the historian Yacubai, archaeologists expected to find a city founded in 836 and inhabited for around 50 years before being abandoned at the end of the 9th century. This was not, however, the case. On the contrary, Hurstfield was forced to concede on the evidence of pottery, coins, and other artifacts the continued existence of a metropolis into the 10th and 11th century, and even the 11th centuries. Reflected this in the Encyclopedia Ironica, <laughs> like Britannica, but Ironica, like Iran, admitted to the, quote, problem, end quote, regarding the traditional ceramic chronology at the site conceding that Hertzfield's excavations were carried out without due regard for stratigraphy and that the city, contrary to traditional notions, continued to be occupied into the late 10th century and beyond. The problem of traditional ceramic chronology at Samara, or Samare, that's probably what it's called, Samare, okay, and finds its included lusted, lustered wall tiles from the palace Ajaswak Al Cake. K Quenaignai residence. The ornament includes several familiar elements. Half uh, elements. Half elements. Okay. Sassanian wing motifs, leaf scrolls. Some of the tiles are painted with birds and circled with wreaths. The second larger group of the luster planted or painted tiles, excuse me, set into the the frame of the rabe or niche at the great mosque of Quay Rao An Quay Ra An in Tunisia <clears throat> has much in common with the finds found in Say Marais. Taking these two groups of tiles as his 
starting point, Ernest uh, Kano proposed the hypothetical development of luster ceramic in Iraq. The earliest pieces were ornamented with polychrome in about 246-860, a bichrome palette composed of brown and yellow came into use, and soon after the inhabitants of St. Mare as capital, monochrome luster was introduced. The tiles of the jaw back al kai were not found in place. Equinar, and all these names. However, it, it is therefore not certain that they form part of the original decoration, and the reports about the way and tiles also leave room for doubt about accepting accepted dates. Hansman, page 145 and 146. The conclusion that new wares were developed in the Islamic world in the 3rd slash 9th century as a result of importation of certain importation of ceramics from China was based partly on the assumption that say Marais was occupied for only 50 years. Yet although Saint-Maure ceased to be the capital in 279-892, silver coins continued to be minted there until probably until, excuse me, 341-952 or 53 A.D. Miles. Furthermore, according to Eb Hakwell, who probably visited the area in CA 358-969 and page 243-44-247, uh, T.R. Kramer's. I mean, it goes to this whole this, uh, list of other quotes, of, uh, not quotes, references, who wrote in about 375-985, parts of it were still inhabited. As the excavations of one... Uh, 1911 through 13 were conducted, 
without regard to the stratigraphy, all that can properly be said about an object from the site is that it may date from 221 through 335 death or, um, or 836 through 985. But it may be even later. On the basis of Samare finds only there is thus no way of knowing whether new types were inter- of were introduced all at once or at intervals over a period of centuries century and a half and the further information is it is necessary to turn the related finds to Susan, Sarif, and other sites. Suzanne, no, it's Susan, Susan, and Sarif. Anyways, so although the Ye, Kwabai, and other Arab sources claim that the Say Marais was or had been occupied only 50 years, in the ninth century, excavation has shown that this was in fact occupied during the tenth century, and that furthermore, the artifacts found there can be date can date from anywhere between the mid ninth to the late tenth century, or even later. This last comment, in fact, gives the game away. The fact is, the pottery and material culture of the 10th and 11th century Mesopotamia is virtually indistinguishable from that of the 8th and 9th centuries. The blue-glazed bar Botan ware, for example, so characteristic of all the early Islamic sites of the region is in fact equally characteristic of the 10th and 11th centuries. Let's look at the, this again. The Arab history tells us that Semare, a vast royal metropolis, was constructed in the second half of the 9th century, inhabited for about 50 years, and, ab- and abandoned around 900 or shortly before, and this is the narrative accepted by Hodges and White House, who present the metropolis as proof of a flowering Islamic civilization during an age of depopulation and barbarism in Europe. Yet what the archaeologists have found is a city constructed by Sassanine Persians in the latter years of the 6th and early part of the 7th century, a city that continued to be occupied into the early Islamic period from the mid-7th century and remained important in the 10th and 11th centuries. So instead of a 50-year-old settlement, 
We have a 400-year-old one. Yet here again, there is a problem. In the 400-year-old settlement, we would expect strata many meters in depth, comparable epochs in the ancient city of Babylon, for example, and have produced anything for four to six meters. Yet the depth of strata in Samara is nothing like this. On the contrary, would lead to the conclusion of a city settled only, as the Arab historians insist, for half a century. What can all this mean? Here again, we find the ignamic Uh, hiatus <clears throat> that we have encountered again and again in the archaeology of the Dark Age. Irrespective of where we look, we have looked, was Samara then constructed by the Sassanine Persians in the late 6th and early centuries, 7th centuries, and the abandonment of and abandoned for 300 years for before being reoccupied by the Muslims in the 10th century question mark the only evidence for a 9th, 9th century Samara apart from the testimony of Yakubai is the discovery of a rather small number of coins which appear to concur with the latter. And indeed, Islamic coins are regularly held up as definitive, independent proof of the accepted chronology. Yet, the problem raised by these artifacts are enormous. Islamic coins in the mid-7th century made their way to Scandinavia a full two centuries before they were expected. And these coins are regularly found alongside others of supposedly the 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries. The same phenomena is encountered at Samara, were the coins of the 6th and the 7th century, pro-Islamic. The Sassanides are encountered in virtually all the same strata as early Islamic coins of the latter 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries. Sometime, something more shall be said about this throughout about this thoroughly confusing topic at a later stage. Suffice here to note that there are very good grounds for believing the numbers found on these supposedly seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth century. Coins do not represent age of Higara dates, and that furthermore, the entire system of notation 
was changed on more than one occasion by the early Muslim rulers. Whatever we might say about traditional written histories and the dating of the coins, we can say that the archaeology at Say Mare and other flourishing urban centers of the Mesopotamia slash Iran and the early Caliph looks as if it could equally belong on one hand in the late Sassanite epoch and on the other hand to the 10th and 11th centuries. Furthermore, the depth of the strata and the amount of archaeology uncovered would suffice for about a century at maximum, but certainly not for four centuries, which apparently separate the rise of Islam from the abandonment of Saimare and Syrif in the 11th century. Chronology of Islam's early expansion. Or expansion. We have seen that the scheme of Islam would have reached the Western Mediterranean and Spain several decades before the textbooks tell us. Thus, if our Ram Ramen III, who left abundant archaeology in Spain from the mid-10th century onward, is the same person as Ab Ur Rahman Rahman I, who have supposedly founded the Spanish Amorite 200 years earlier, but who left little or no trace of archaeological record then both characters must, in fact, be moved to the mid-7th century, at 10th century. After all, in all particulars, is identical to the 7th century. There is much other evidence pointing to the same direction and pointing, in fact, to the Islamic expansion across the Middle East at least two to three decades earlier than is commonly supposed. Their real break-off point between the classical civilization and the medieval world is 614 AD, the year of the fall of Syria slash Palestine and Jerusalem to the Persian forces of Cosphoros the second, and it was then, or in the decade immediately after, that the great cities of Asia Minor and Syria were destroyed and abandoned, never to rise again. That there was no attempt to repair them after the end of the Persian War in 627 A.D indicates that there was insufficient time to do so before the coming of the Arabs, supposedly in 638. Yet, in a decade, we might expect some signs of 
revival and rebuilding that there were almost none, none could suggest that the arrival of the Arabs and Islam on the world stage was closer to the time of Persian war than is allowed. It is traditionally believed that the Muslim armies did not emerge from Arabia until after Muhammad's death in 638 AD, yet there is evidence to suggest otherwise. A letter exists purportedly that a Muhammad to Khosrow II, inviting him to embrace Islam. Whether this communication is genuine or not, actually it is without question a forgery. It does illustrate the important truth. The Persians had a long history of religious antagonism towards Christianity and towards Byzantium and as such would have been natural allies of the Arabs against the Romans. During the latter years of the 6th century, Chosros II, grandfather Chosros I, had gone to the assistance of the southern Arabs, whose country, Yemen, had been annexed by the Christian Abyssinians. During this period, the Sassanines were extremely active in building alliances throughout the Arabian Peninsula, and it is known that large contingents of Arab warriors served in the Persian armies. And the war between Chosros II and Heraclius were erupted in 602, had from the very beginning all the characteristics of a religious conflict. A venerable jihad, nonetheless, and the Persians, along with the numerous Arab allies, took Jerusalem in 614 and carried out a general massacre of of the Christian population, after which they looted the churches and seized some of the Christendom's most sacred relics, including the Holy Cross upon which Christ was crucified, allegedly, and a story told by the Byzantines of how Heraclius, against all the odds, miraculous, turned the tide of war and won back the sacred relics, strikes one uh, a fictitious Persian sources make no mention of uh, Chosro's supposed defeat at the hands of the Byzantines. On the contrary, 
he is known in Iranian tradition as Apervez, later, later abbreviated to Pervez, the undefeatable, or even, or ever victorious. The most important Iranian source, Shah Naman, merely records how Chashros was killed by his son, Shiruyi, who desired his father's beautiful wife, Sharin. Same old story, just about every tradition, isn't it? Why would anybody want their dad's mother? That is just, I have to say, plain old. Effed up. It would appear that the Byzantines may have been falsifying history with regard to Heraclius' latter career, and it is just with the latter's reign that the dim and little-known period was now called the Dark Ages commenced. An earlier war between Romans and Persians in the time of Alexander Severus, 3rd century, was equally doctored by Roman chronologers to make its outcome more palpable. As Gibbon dryly remarks, quote, if we credit what should seem the most authentic of all records and orations still extant delivered by the emperor himself to the senate, we must allow that the victory of Alexander Severus was not inferior to any of those formerly obtained over the uh, Persians by the son of Philip. Uh, Alexander the Great, however, far from being inclined to believe that the arms of Alexander Severus obtained any memorable advantage over the Persians, we are induced to suspect that all this blaze of imaginary glory was designed to conceal some real disgrace. A possible motive, aside from the need to disguise the humiliating defeat for the Byzantines' rewriting of Heraclius' life and career, is examined in the next chapter. Elig had suggested that the Persians encountered Islam in Syria and Sian the latter as a valuable ally against the Byzantium, against the Byzantium, joined forces with the Arabs. 
it is not inconceivable that the senior members of the Persian ruling class may have converted to Islam and gradually imposed the new faith upon the populace. This would explain why Arabs were able to conquer, in quotes, with such apparent ease, the mighty and invincible Persian Empire, an empire that had withstand the best efforts of Rome to subdue it for seven centuries, and it would further explain why early Islam is so thoroughly Persian in character. Islamic symbols per excellence, for example, the crescent moon enclosing the star, is Persian. The motif is encountered repeatedly on monumental Iranian art and Sassanite coins. The Persian influence is indeed all-pervasive. The great Islamic cities of the time, including Baghdad and Samarra, following the typically Persian ground plan with Persian features such as paradises or ornamental gardens, the artwork found in Samarai, including pottery painting and architectural features, is all thoroughly Persian. It is well known, too, that the early caliphs ruled largely, if not completely, through a Persian bureaucracy, and we remind ourselves that the earliest Islamic coins are straightforwardly Persian, usually with the addition of an Arab or rather Saratic phrase such as Allah, uh, which the name of Chosroes II and his successor Yazd. Degard, Yazdegard the third, but in all other particulars, they are indistinguishable from Sassanide currency, according to the Encyclopedia Ironica. These coins usually have a portrait of Sassanian, Sassanian Emperor with an honorific inscription and various ornaments. To the right of the portrait is a ruler or governor's name written in Pahlavi script. On the reverse, there is the Zoroastrian Austrian fire altar with attendants on either side. At the far left is the year of issue expressed in words, and at the right is the minting, is the place of minting. In all these features, the Arab Sassanian coinages are similar to Sassanian silver uh, drums.
D R A H M D-R-A-H-M-S. The major difference between the two series is the presence of some additional Arabic inscriptions on most coins issued under Muslim authority, but some coins with no Arabic can, can still be attributed to Islamic period. The Arab Sassanian Arabic Sassanian coinage is are not imitations since they were surely designed and manufactured by the same people as the late Sassanian issues, illustrating the continuity of the administration and economic life in the early years of the Muslim rule in Iran. Note the remark, quote, Arab Sassanian coinages are not imitations, unquote, but were, quote, designed and manufactured by the same people as the late Sassanian issues, unquote. We note that, also that the date provided on the artifacts is written in Persian script, and it would appear that those who minted the coins native Persians did not understand Arabic. We hear that under the Arabs, the mints were evidently allowed to go on as before, and that there are, quote, a small number of coins indistinguishable from the darm or drums. of the late of the last emperor. Yes, the guard the Gurd the third. Dated during his reign after the Arab ca- capture of the city of issue, it was only when Yazdegard died in AD six fifty one. The sum of mark of the Arab authorities was added to this coinage. Even more puzzling is the fact that most uh, is the fact that most common coins during the first decade of the Islamic rule were those of Chosroes II, and many of these too bear Arabic inscription, written as mentioned above in Seratic script. Says Allah. Now, it is just conceivable that the invading Arabs might have issued slightly amended coins of the last Sassanite monarch, Yes, the Gerard, uh, the third, but why continue to issue money in the name of a previous? Sassanine king, Chosroes II, one who supposedly had died ten years earlier, this surely stretches credibility. 
And then it's got a coin here, early Islamic coin, uh, Persian design showing Sassanite Emperor Yazdegerd. Yazdegerd the third and Zoroastrian fire temple on the reverse. And then we are here at Islamic coin of Caliph Mo Mu Waya showing figure holding cross. Did these uh, Chosro the second did then Chosro the second convert to Islam as part of the Persia's ongoing holy war against Christian Byzantium? Conventional history tells us that Chosro's ancestor Yazdegerd III was the last of the pre-Islamic rulers of Iran, and that in his time, Caliph Omar conquered the country. Yet the Persian poet Ferdowsi, who seems to have possessed a detailed knowledge of the period, mentions no Arab conquests at all. The Arabs are mentioned, but not as enemies of Yazdegerd. Yastagird the third, the latter who is portrayed as the villain, is killed by a miller, not by Arabs, who are also portrayed as villains. Indeed, the events described by Fur Dalzi have all the hallmarks of a Persian civil war. It is possible that during the time of Yazdegerd the third and Anternes uh war erupted between the Arabizing group a Arabizing group and a more traditional Persian faction. Later later Islamic propagandists could have portrayed this conflict as an Arab conquest of Persia. The evidence of archaeology, as we shall see, fully supports the above hypothesis. And we'll stop right there. Building more and more of a case of the fact the 300 years were added to our calendar. And that you live in 1770 at the very latest. And that's something you should think about strongly. But guess what? How many of you, if anybody will hear any of this? By the end of all this, and I would say even by the end of this century, less than a fraction or a fraction of percent of humanity will recognize it. Well, people are bickering whether the earth is flat or round, and neither one of you can prove your point. being played in the Hegelian dialect beautifully. Whether you guys worry about uh, 
all the fictitious wars, fictitious history, and everything else. Everything is fictitious. It's all just for fraud. So, all right. All right, so got some of my MS meds. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's supposed to be really hot today. I do need to go water my plants. Once again, no rain. At least in the spring, you have rain. Last year, I went through this. No rain, no rain, no rain. But it started late in the season. It was uh, mid-June, late I started actually doing any grill gardening. Yeah, I would like to get this done. This is my grand goal: is to get this book read with the full understanding that no one's going to want to hear it, but me and a few other people who really are interested in something that's substantial. That you actually could, if you did a little bit of research, you could say, ah, most probably, yeah, it's not 2017. Uh, <laughs> and there, and I guess if you can't figure out the the, the value of that, then uh, and the importance of that, I just don't. All I can say is just think about it a little more. Put it, add it to the big holistic picture of deception um, that we're under, and just say, you know, uh, what do you do? We have to love our enemy, which apparently turns out to be everybody around us. So, <laughs> oh golly me! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.